With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. You just can't. He will not change, and you know it. History will not be kind to Donald Trump. One day when the This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Too often our black politicians, professional class, middle class, become too accommodated to the capitalist economy, too accommodated to the militarized nation state, too accommodated to the market-driven culture tied with celebrity status, power, fame, all of that superficial stuff that means so much to so many fellow citizens. And what happens? What happens is we got a neo-fascist gangster in the White House who really doesn't care for the most part. You got a neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party that is now in the driver's seat with the, with the collapse of Brother Bernie. And they don't really know what to do because all they want is show more black faces, show more black faces. But oftentimes these black faces are losing legitimacy too because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see. So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. We must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. America's chickens! Coming home. Our common ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. 
passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. In tonight at Our Common Ground for Janice Graham. Our guest host, Dr. James L. Taylor. And now, Our Common Ground. Welcome back, welcome back. Uh, COINTELPRO must be busy trying to keep us from having the conversation we want to have today about the consequences of black political misadventures and, and what they are and who pays. Here tonight on Our Common Ground, let your friends know, uh, blog it, uh, tweet it, uh, post it on Facebook, um, check it out in the blog talk radio section, and uh, we want to t- talk tonight about the consequences of black political misadventures. And that's a, a lot uh, in one sentence, but we hope to get it out and uh, flesh it out. And we also want you to call in at 347-838-9852. 347-838-9852. And we will take uh, your questions uh, from all around the country. Uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight. There's so much going on in the country. The headlines are full of, is full of black politics, full of black news, full of uh, uh, racial politics. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight uh, and hopefully come up with some solutions. Uh, but the way you uh, come up with solutions is to study your past and to learn uh, from the past and to incorporate the lessons from the past to avoid misadventures. And much of the misadventure we'll talk about tonight uh, has to do with that very question of how uh, does the past, uh, in terms of political movements, uh, inform the present? Uh, what is the relationship between black power, Black Lives Matter, um, or the civil rights movement, or even going further back to, say, the Harlem Renaissance, and further back uh, to the uh, Reconstruction period, or even further back to the insurrectionary period of, of, uh, of people like Gabriel or Denmark Vesey or Nat Turner, and what does it mean that our young people and not-so-young people have taken to the streets of America in the last two or three months and shake, sh- uh, shooken, they've shaken up the world uh, in, a, in a way that got the entire world's con- um, attention and brought about a lot of um, uh, re- you know, remonstrance and uh, soul-searching in the country. Um, they were confused by their own children engaging in riots and protests and insurgency. Uh, and what does it all mean? Uh, what is the future of black politics? Uh, what is the future of American politics? And how do the events that we are experiencing now, some that we are so close to that we may not be able to uh, understand without, without informing, being informed by the past? That is to say that right now we're too close to what's going on. And the best way to understand it is looking not forward but backward uh, in order to understand the cycles of American history. Uh, that's the best uh, way of understanding American history, according to some of the best scholars in the country's history, like Arthur Schlesinger um, and, and others, uh, is to understand America, uh, its, its movement, uh, not in lines from point A to point Z, 
like there's progress being made. Uh, that's a, you know, a, a, this linear notion of American history reads it flatly uh, as progress. And we're constantly being told uh, about progress. But we've been here for over 25 generations now. And every white generation in 20, for 25 generations has failed. Uh, so the, and what they have done well uh, across certain epics is reproduce again and again the racism of old. So here we are in 2020, 2019, 2020, and we're seeing exactly a number of factors that were alive and kicking in, 20, uh, in 1919, in 1920, from race riots all across the country in 1919. Look, Google Red Summer and see what comes up. 1919, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the place where Donald Trump went on the weekend of, 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 um, of Juneteenth, right? And, 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 and what that, how that, you know, all factored in, right? And you come back and understand that this whole notion of even the pandemic now, uh, there was a pandemic in 1918. Uh, uh, we had a racist, openly racist president now, Donald Trump. We had an openly racist president then, Woodrow Wilson, who... Um, uh, who uh, went, uh, was the first president to segregate the federal facilities of the United States government where they had been generally integrated from Abraham Lincoln uh, till, uh, uh, until Woodrow Wilson. And if you ever saw the movie Hidden Figures where Taraj uh, Henson's character has to run a mile to go to the bathroom, that was, that was after Woodrow Wilson. That was because of Woodrow Wilson that that character had to keep going to the old black in real life Black federal workers had to go miles to segregated uh, bathrooms when their white uh, colleagues can walk out the hall, go into the hallway. That was Woodrow Wilson. It was Woodrow Wilson who celebrated birth of a nation uh, and had the Supreme Court in the room and had Congress in the room and celebrated it and called it like history with lightning. That was the president during the last pandemic when race riots were happening all over America. In 1919, from 1917 in East St. Louis, all the way through to Tulsa, Oklahoma, the bloodiest single uh, race pogrom, P-O-G-R-O-M, in American history. So when you start talking about where we are now and, and trying to read American history as a, 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 a point from, from year zero to year of great progress and finally reaching a level of black satisfaction, that is... Um, a linear way of reading forward uh, the experience of black people. If it was that case, we wouldn't see things now that look like things just 50 years ago or things 50 years ago looking like things back in 1919, right? So here we are in the 21st century, and black people are marching in the streets of America like their great-grandparents were, like their parents were, like their grandparents were. Those are cycles, not lines. If there were lines, we wouldn't have our parents and grandparents and children and grandchildren all doing the same thing. They would be doing something different. But because America is better read as a series of cycles, uh, usually 15 years, a generation emerges, young Turks. They look backwards 15 years and judge the previous uh, movement or generation. And this is what black power did. Uh, this is what Martin Luther King did. Uh, to all the black preachers who weren't like him before him, and then they, uh, then they spend the next 15 years critiquing the few, their own uh, agenda and trying to outline their own agenda, constituting a full cycle. You can see this with the difference between the black power movement and the 
previous 30 years before that was the uh, Harlem Renaissance and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the New Negro Movement and the Garvey Movement uh, in Harlem, where all of black America, from its talent, with talent, converged on Harlem and made it a special place uh, that uh, you see people like Harold Cruz, the writer of The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual, uh, celebrating in much of his writing. And Malcolm X, in all of his thinking, centralized his critiques and his understanding of the black experience in America, yes, from his uh, 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 Nebraska beginnings and from his uh, Detroit raising, but also from his Harlem uh, uh, street hustling experience where all of black America was drawn at that time with all of the talent and the art and the skills and the music. And then you see another cycle of that kind of performance with the Amiri Baraka uh, black arts movement um, um, uh, in places like Chicago and in New York, uh, you know, with Mecca uh, in Chicago and in New York with people like Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni. Um, and Hakim Adibuti and others came together and began to insert poetry uh, as a critical form of discourse uh, in African-American tradition, reviving the old traditions of, of Phyllis Wheatley um, and Paul Lawrence Dunbar from the Harlem Renaissance. And they recognized their, um, their indebtedness to the art forms. But more often than not, they would take only certain things forward and not the larger lessons, uh, and that's where the misadventures would often come. And we have to ask ourselves tonight, we've been watching what people are calling or miscalling Black Lives Matter for uh, 11 years. Um, uh, last month they celebrated, and it shouldn't be being celebrated, you know, nobody celebrates black power, um, but they celebrated the seventh anniversary of Black Lives Matter. But... The, I think, thing to think about is that there was an on-the-ground movement of black folk going on for half a decade before that in the same place, Oakland, California, where I'm broadcasting from tonight. We're, we're talking tonight from the center of the Kaepernick protests, the center of the Black Lives Matter movement, the center of the end of the Occupy movement. Occupy ended in Oakland, California on 14th and Broadway, not in Zuccotti Park in New York City. Um, and what uh, did the, the the culture, the milieu, the legacy um, of, of the Panthers, you know, not, not the one that turned a certain way after the 70s, but the one locked in time in 1966 through, say, 1967, when they were in their romantic stage, right? Um, and, and, and what does that image uh, do? So when we think about, you know, this whole uh, phenomena of cycles, um, uh, uh to question whether or not Black Lives Matter is an assertion of black power is, is to be confused about the nature of black power itself. Black power is a thing bigger than any movement that tries to name it. I'll say that again. Black power is a thing bigger and deeper than anything that's ever tried to name it. They called it uh, the appeal of David Walker at one time. It was Frederick Douglass himself at one time. Uh, it was the legacy and reputation of Moses, Harriet Tubman one time. It was Marcus Garvey and, the, and, the, and UNEA when they declared in UNEA that they were new Negroes in the new Negro movement. That was just that time's expression of black power in relationship to the earlier 30, the previous 30 years. Here you go. Here's a generational cycle right now. The Garvey movement 
critiques the uh, period 30 years before it um, that had to do with the Reconstruction period. And even before that, Harriet Beecher Stowe's uh, writing of Uncle Tom's Cabin. That book became uh, sui generis for uh, so much that went on in terms of the immediate uh, you know, impending crisis that was the Civil War, right? And, and so uh, when she writes that book, it caricatures all of black America as Uncle Tom. You have to read the works of Sterling Stuckey, S-T-U-C-K-E-Y, to get some of this, or Albert Robito's Slave Religion, and understand that these, uh, these cultural expressions, these cycles, um, have occurred again and again, and we keep trying to name it. If you study the scholarship by Robert Smith uh, of San Francisco State or other, scho- other scholars, uh, you'll see that part of the issue with black power was they couldn't name it. They didn't know how to define it. Even Richard Nixon defined it. Everybody had a definition for what black power was because nobody understood its, its spiritual nature that was in play that continues to show up again and again and it showed up in some people's lives in three or four cycles. If you were in your 70s, you done seen this about three times. And they keep trying to name it. Black Lives Matter ain't nothing but the modern uh, uh, misarticulated or unarticulated or poorly articulated expression of black power in the 21st century. And you can go backwards and understand that Garvey and the Garveyites, this is in my book on black nationalism. Check my book on black nationalism out. Garvey and the Garveyites went out of their way to go to war against the caricature that had been the reputation of all black people in America, male and female, for over 30, for 70 years, 60 years, for 60 years, from the time of her publication until the Garvey movement peaks in the, mid, in the early 20s. The Garvey movement, New Negro, is an ex- particular expression of black power in relationship to Uncle Tom. The new Negro is the new person that is killing Uncle Tom. The Garveyites put Uncle Tom to death. The Garveyites put Uncle Tom to death. But they did it in a way that was dishonest because Uncle Tom wasn't no sellout. And that's what black people need to do in their language and in their talk, even when they're talking about sellouts, is to recover Uncle Tom from the sellout category. Because Uncle Tom, if you read William Julius Wilson's research on Uncle Tom's Messiah and black messiahs, you'll know that Uncle Tom was no Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom was killed because he would not sell out. He was murdered because his relatives ran away at the end of the book, and he would not sell out. And then Legree, Simon Legree comes to him and demands that he tells where his relatives are. Sell out, Uncle Tom. And Uncle Tom said, hell no, I'm not selling out, even if you kill me. He said, you poor, miserable fool. Those are the last words of Uncle Tom in the book before Legree kills him. And because he suffers and because of uh, Stowe's caricature of black people, as a obedient, Christian, docile, uh, nonviolent people. See, in the 80s, we became uh, the super predators of America. But in the, in the 1860s, we were the Uncle Toms of America. We were Uncle Toms and Aunt Janes of America. Not, that, not because we were a weak, 
But because we expressed and demonstrated a spirituality and a religiosity that they could never demonstrate. They, when they saw real Christians, black Christians, poor Christians, rag Christians, tattered Christians, the best Christians God has ever had on earth, in the chains, coming out of chains, making up the music, the Jubilee singers, singing, I, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, singing songs like, go down Moses, way down in Egypt's land, way down in, uh, uh, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go, out of the rags and the tatters of centuries of devastation. Their culture was more powerful than the hate that tried to destroy it, and it's still more powerful than the hate that's trying to destroy it. Because it showed up again in their great-grandchildren in 2020, and it chased the president down into a bunker. But the Garveyites wanted to get rid of the Christian image that they had been given by a white woman literary figure. Even though Martin Delaney himself tried to do it immediately, if you look up in my book, in Delaney, there's a reference to a book called Blake, a writing, a, 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 a short series of writings by Martin Delaney called Blake, B-L-A-K-E, or Huts of America, where uh, Henrico Blake, to show you the pan-African interest of early black nationalists in Cuba, his wife is sold, uh, Henry, the, the main character's wife is sold into slavery in Cuba, and he goes there and tries to retrieve, he, run, he, he runs away and tries to retrieve his wife. And in the uh, episode, there's an episode of her, the, the wife's elderly uh, slave relatives who couldn't stop saying, Jesus and the Lord's going to work it out. Blake, don't go. Blake curses God. Blake rejects religion. Blake says, if God is with us, why are we in these chains asking eternal theodicy questions that the slaves always asked? It's a misrepresentation that the slaves were deeply Christian. Du Bois is the best writer of black religion in all times. And he was an atheist or an agnostic. And he's clear that what black people were expressing was not Christianity. It was something that black people in America took out of the conditions that they inherited and created out of whole cloth. They couldn't even talk to each other. And they started doing a ring shout dance. Look up the ring shout. Google the ring shout. Look at your ancestors on YouTube right now doing the ring shout. That's what made us a people. Dancing made us a people. They're always telling you, oh, black folk always sucking and jiving and dancing. Damn it, that's how we became a people. Because we couldn't talk. We couldn't communicate. They took the drums. All they left us was our feet. So we made a counterclockwise move. Sterling Stuckey talks about this in his book on slave culture. Um, and in other works that he has, uh, Stuckey has another great work called um, uh, Going Through the Storm, The Influence of African-American Art and History by Sterling Stuckey that documents this. This stuff is in the books if we want to know about it. Our young people are in the movements. If they wanted to understand what they are involved in, they need to consult the books, at least the leaders of them, like the Panthers did. At least they had study groups. Snick studied. Snick engaged. Snick debated. Black power didn't just happen out of black anger. They had debates. The women were in the room. All this idea of all this hypersexuality amongst the men, they had debates, and Dorothy Cotton and other women were in the room leading the debates, leading the discussions in SNCC. 
that produce black power. I defy anybody right now to go listen to the black power tape on YouTube. And I say this in my book. Listen to the response to black power when it's first uttered by Stokely Carmichael and Willie Ricks and Martin Luther King is standing right next to them when it's first uttered. And you'll hear a chorus of women. You'll hear women. You'll hear the women saying black power. The women are saying black power. You can't even hear a man say black power at at the Meredith March. Listen to the tape. So when you talk about Black Lives Matter and you hear somebody say something stupid like, this ain't your grandmama's revolution, well, damn it, I say, Google the name of Gloria Richardson, who Malcolm solemnizes in the message to the grassroots speech, where he talks about this middle-class, beautiful uh, uh, black woman who gives up all of her class advantages and preferences and privileges and becomes a leader, a grassroots leader on the ground, not a part of the civil rights establishment. In fact, if you check this out, she was allowed to go to the March on Washington. She was allowed to get up to go speak. And as soon as Gloria Washington said, Gloria uh, uh, Richardson said hello, they turned the microphone off on her and did not let her speak. Gloria Richardson finally got to speak about three or four years ago. Uh, at one of the anniversaries of the March on Washington recently. She finally spoke, and she told the story. Gloria Richardson is alive still right now, one of the great mothers. And you, you want to talk about her? She's the black woman that you see in the footage with the hand on the bayonet looking at the white soldier like he's out of his damn mind, and she will turn that thing on him and use it if he does another thing. That's Gloria Richardson in her 90s, alive right now. And and you want, you know so 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 when you talk about the cycles of black power, the black power generation ain't even dead yet. They're still alive. We just lost John Lewis last week. He's from the black power generation. You heard Bill Clinton choose. You heard Clinton choose one black power over another. He chose one snick wing over the other. In the 21st century. Black power is still repugnant to the liberal establishment. And Bill Clinton's comments should, be, uh, should remind you of that. He said, oh, we're, we're glad the rest of you Negroes. And he said it to an all-black room, too. That's what, that's what I think is deep about Bill. Bill and Obama, they, they get in the all-black room, and they just be talking, you know, like they're an all-black preacher. But neither one of them got the, the, the credibility. But, but Bill going to, you know, talk about to an all-black room, well, we glad you Negroes chose uh, the John way and not the Stokely way, and now everywhere you look, they got this uh, good trouble nonsense going around. And they use that to shame the Black Lives Matter movement generation. They want to use King, they want to use John Lewis, and tell you this is how, just after you done taught this damn country and brought it to its knees, they want to use one of the great icons of the movement, John Lewis, against you. They got Google, look up on your streams on Facebook. They got John Lewis T-shirts. They got John Lewis cups. Good troubles everywhere. Little white girls getting in trouble, calling it good trouble on cable TV. And they ain't never had a John Lewis T-shirt since the Selma March. They ain't never had a John Lewis T-shirt until after he left here. Why? Because they want to reproduce and shame the young people today and tell you the good way to rebel is to let the cops beat the hell out of you and not retaliate right at the time you are retaliating. And when you are beating the cops uh, left and right in every city and they're seeing young white children 
beat up police officers and engage them. The young people of this country beat them for nine days straight. And then they finally got control when Trump and his uh, <clears throat> SS men came out on the streets in D.C. But our young people provoked the president into that fatal move. He can never recover from that historically or in terms of the election. Our young people did that. They provoked Trump into a stupid move, a fatal move in terms of presidential history. He will go down infamously because our young people provoked him through their activism. And so when we talk about adventures and misadventures, we talk about the cycles. When you talk about how the Garvey movement tried to overcome the reputation of Uncle Tom, uh, they went to the extreme of lying on Uncle Tom. So that Uncle Tom becomes a sellout in the Garvey years 60 years later. That's when he becomes a sellout. Uncle Tom becomes a sellout in the Garvey era. Look at it in my book. I've mentioned my, my book more times in this show than I have since I wrote it. I kid you not, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a self-promoting person, anybody that knows me. Um, I don't have a blog. I don't have, you know, I got three followers on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me if you want. It's Udi Taylor, O-O-T-T-I-E Taylor, at uh, Twitter, because they kicked me off, because I, uh, I, I clowned uh, uh, the, the, the lawyer for Trayvon Martin uh, uh, Crump. And and I and I you know I I noticed every he getting like Al Sharpton and and Jesse used to be where every time something bleed he he trying to chase he trying to beat Black Lives Matter to it now and he owing ten you know he didn't lost everything he didn't lost on Botham John he lost he didn't got he didn't got involved in the Floyd George thing he was out there trying to lead the people and sound like he should have been following them uh, when he was trying to talk in in, in public I, I felt so bad for the boy and I and I said you know if he if he uh if I ever get hurt. I said, if I ever get shot, uh, please don't have him come uh, represent my family, please. And for that, uh, Twitter kicked me off. So I guess I was—I I guess I don't know how, but that's what happened. Uh, but you know, I'm—I'm uh, I'm from New York, so anyway, uh, you can follow me. And um, uh, but uh, but I want you—I want us to think about today. All that you're seeing, all that you're experiencing, all of this difficulty, all of these challenges. I want to tell and remind us that our ancestors were a steeled, S-T-E-E-L-E-D people, a steeled people. They were steeled on the crucible of the American experience. No group, black, ethnic, African, West Indian, can come to America and look down on the American Negro unless you did it yourself or unless your people did it too. Colonialism, for the most part, was um, exterior, you know, they had direct and indirect rule. The African American has always been a colonized nation in a colonized nation. And this is something that black people need to think through. They were thinking it through in the 60s. Howard Cruz is the one that helped them think it through with the thesis of it, of black people being an internal colony. That is, if you read the works of uh, Richard, uh, Robert Blauner at Berkeley, a book he passed recently, a book called Racial Oppression, a white scholar, outlined how black people in America never had their colonial situation resolved with the British when we fought on the side of the British against the Americans. Check that fact out, the black loyalists. Uh, and we um, fought on, on that side 
you know, for the hope of getting free as Africans had in Sierra Leone under the British uh, agreement to establish a Sierra Leone as a, as a free country. America creates Liberia later, uh, you know, very different, you know, under very different circumstances about 50, 50 years later. Um, but, but when you think about, you know, these cycles, when you think about, um, you know, the nature of these developments and how they come and, and go, the misadvantage, misadventures that happen in our movements are typically born out of the arrogance of youth, of young Turks, uh, tending to uh, think that they are, are the only ones that ever had the wheel that, that needs to be reinvented. Again, we want to remind you to call in uh, to, the, to, to our number. Uh, we want to remind you to call in and, uh, and, um, and uh, give us your, your thoughts and your questions, 347-838-9852. I'm going to finish my opening soliloquy in a minute. And we're going to open the lines and let you all get in, get your questions in, write them down. Uh, if you want to check something I said, uh, please do. Uh, uh, you're welcome. And you can call in and disagree. Uh, I'm a professor. My job is to figure out how to, uh, you know, re relate to any perspective and try to reconcile it with a common um, perspective of, of mutual, hopefully, uh, uh, a thesis out of, the, out of the unity of opposites, out of your ideas and my ideas, hopefully we can produce a new thesis uh, in the Marxian dialectical sense. So, so we want to talk about Kamala Harris, and we want to talk about Donald Trump and his race, uh, his uh, Nixon that we called it the Southern strategy, but we're going to call it uh, Trump's, uh, 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 you know, um, Trump's uh, Queens, New York, Archie Bunker strategy, because that's all he is, ain't nothing but Archie Bunker reproduced. Trump, uh, look, I'm a New Yorker. I got a Yankee hat right now. I'm, I'm, when I die, the Yankees going to have some, somebody better say something about the Yankees, please, whoever you are. Um, I know the Yankees history inside out. I know that Donald Trump was in New York in the 1970s when George Steinbrenner was known as the boss of New York. And he had a reputation of firing people. He was the most intimidating man in New York. He ran New York with a big, tough guy, blonde hair personality. Uh, he ran the Yankees. He fired Billy Martin 80 times. That was his reputation for firing Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson going after Billy Martin and all of that Bronx, the Bronx madness with Bucky Dent and Thurman Munson and Greg Nettles and, Reggie and, and, uh, and, and Luke, Willie Randolph. Man, don't get me started, right? And Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, these old New York racists, that's all y'all doing is getting some old New York racism. New Yorkers ain't surprised at none of this. And, uh, and um, Giuliani and Trump are big Yankee fans, right? And Trump, Trump all Trump did <coughs> after Steinbrenner died was stole his personality. He stole George Steinbrenner's boss of New York, tough guy, win at all costs, get the best talent, even though Trump is a complete loser in terms of anything real uh, successful. Um, he stole George Steinbrenner's reputation and right in front of everybody, just like he's stealing uh, mailboxes right now in front of everybody. He stole Steinbrenner's reputation, started calling himself the big man of New York. His Taj Mahal failed. How the hell are you going to lose in a, how the hell you lose in a, in a, in a casino? Yeah, casinos are rigged to win. How they, that's how Vegas has been in power for so long. Every time you go to Vegas, you're left broke. 
because it's set up for you to lose mathematically uh, in terms of statistical probability. And Donald Trump went out of, went bankrupt when he was the, he was the damn bank. How you going to go bankrupt when you're the bank? And, and so this man studied Steinbrenner, stole the boss of New York, and turned it into The Apprentice. All The Apprentice is is the reproduction of George Steinbrenner. You're fired. You're fired. Half of Donald Trump's staff right now is in the interim position, including his chief of staff and all of his uh, uh, inner circle. All of them only got a foot in the job to keep him insecure. This man has fired more people than the last several presidencies combined in three years. Look up the word cacistocracy. K-A, this is the word of today on common ground. We got a new word. Ms. Graham is coming back in two weeks out of her own integrity. Uh, she suspended herself uh, because she appropriately said some misappropriate things. She said some stuff that needed to be said, but she probably shouldn't have said them uh, at the time they were said. And she's sorry to all of y'all, including the people that love her most uh, and the people that don't. She's still sorry. Uh, but, but, uh, but, uh, but, we, but we want you to understand that, um, that, that we're talking about these cycles and these reproductions um, uh, and, and, and some of these things we've seen before. Um, you have to appreciate that there is an ongoing um, uh, struggle in the black experience. Some call it the black freedom struggle. Some call it the long, uh, a move, the long movement. Some divide it up between black power and, and the civil rights movement. But all of the black movements is the black movement. All of them. They are the black movement. And the diversity of their manifestations in the forms of women's movements, like the National Council of, of Negro Women, which is the first black organization, a lot of intellectuals like to tease out their class status and focus on their uplift strategy as if they didn't love the people they were trying to uplift, and they mock it. Um, and, and then you look at, you know, the creation of the Niagara movement. And then the, uh, uh, people like um, William Monroe Trotter that every black child should know about, the son of a black millionaire in Boston, who took the Boston Guardian and made it into a successful black journal in Boston, opposed Booker Washington. The real enemy of Booker Washington was not W.E.B. Du Bois. That's a mistake or, or, or a scholarly confrontation. But in terms of the movement, Booker, like King, was trying to nationalize his leadership from Alabama to Boston, where they had black leadership going back to Prince Hall in the 1700s. They didn't need Booker in Boston. And Charter told him so. Charter sent Booker Washington uh, uh, into a rage, and they got into a fight, and they got into a, a fight, and literally a riot. It's called the Boston Riot, and, and Charter gets arrested, and then Booker doubles down and um, presses charges. This is the real beginning of the break with W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. It was not over school or education or the challenge tent versus the slave masses. It was over Booker Washington pressing charges on William Monroe Trotter. The, the black man who went into the White House two times and cursed Woodrow Wilson out to his face twice. Look up William Monroe Trotter. 
They try to give us our heroes. But look up William Monroe Trotter. This was a black millionaire. They always try to act like, oh, the black bourgeoisie uh, can't relate to the black masses. Well, William Monroe Trotter was a black millionaire. His father was. He was the first five-day Kappa from Harvard, graduated with divorce. They had the same girlfriend. One of them married the other, and the other one loved her and couldn't get her. And they were rivals in that way. Trotter was such a militant, he wouldn't become a part of the NACP because of all the white people that helped create it. In fact, white people created the NACP. It wasn't the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People. It was the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And the only black people associated with it was Du Bois and Ida B. Wells, who Du Bois, in subsequent writing, turns into a man and erases her presence at the founding of the NAACP. Yes, he did. He was enlightened as a feminist in a lot of ways, but he went out of his way to erase Phyllis Wheatley and Ida B. Wells in the narratives of his time. He went out of his way to write her out and say she wasn't even at the meeting. He turned her into a man. Du Bois did this to Ida B. Wells. I taught this over at Berkeley. That's probably why they won't have me back over at Berkeley. I taught taught black nationalism at Berkeley for six years and taught like this, which is why they don't have me over there right now, I assume. Because that's a diaspora department, and we're talking black nationalism, and diaspora don't like black nationalism. They say black nationalism is narrow, even though black nationalism is the seed that produces the LGBTQ criticisms. It created the the left radical criticisms. It created the labor criticisms. It created uh, the modern criticisms. It created even the left criticisms. If the left didn't have black to criticize, the left wouldn't have a damn thing to criticize other than capitalism. It's cut its teeth criticizing us since the Garvey period, when Garveyism appealed to the masses of working black people, and the communists had their 10-year high point and couldn't figure out why black people wouldn't be drawn to a European philosophy, talking about the dialectical material process and the proletariat and lumping proletariat and the bourgeoisie when they were the peasantry of the South. Hell, give us a theory of peasantry. Give us a theory of revolution. That's why you should be reading Errol Henderson's new book. The theory will not be, uh, the the, the revolution will not be theorized. That documents the evidence of uh, early black political theory available to the black power movement that they look over when they start looking at Fanon and start looking over at European models and looking at Che Guevara and looking at Castro and looking at China and looking at Moscow. How the hell are you going to look at Moscow? Look what the hell Moscow is doing to us as a people right now. I wish all of them were alive. Du Bois, Robeson, Claudia Jones, Herbert Harry Harrison, Harry Haywood, bring up Angela Davis. She's still alive. What the hell is going on with Moscow? How the hell is Moscow going to turn on us as a people? When y'all theorized that that was the solution to our black condition in America. And here we are before all of y'all leave. Moscow done turned completely racist. Lined up with the fascists of America. It ain't just Mitch McConnell. It's uh, Vladimir Putin that's making this racism possible in America. This is some international white coalition going on. And the Reds have turned white. Or the Reds of Russia have put on the red hat of Donald Trump. How the hell was that ever a solution for us? It never dealt with its own racism. 
That was the reason why it could never appeal to us. That's the problem in San Francisco right now. The progressive left, the Bernieites, the AOCs, the Jane Kims, the progressive left, who we created. We created them. They need to come out the first left. They need to come out the old left. They need to come out the, uh, the 1920s labor union left. They came out the black power movement with uh, Elliot, uh, with uh, uh, Bernadine Dorn. And this dude they kept talking about in the Obama campaigns. Uh, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but his wife was uh, uh, Bernadine Dorn um, uh, uh, from, the, from the, uh, the Weather Underground. And they told the Panthers, they told Eldridge, we cannot follow you. Yes, you are our father. The black power movement created the modern new left. And they didn't even have their own constitution with a small C outside of some European theory from 1848 to uh, offer us. The same one that had failed for the previous 100 years and had two or three breakthroughs. For about five minutes in our history, like the Brown, uh, the, uh, the Scottsboro Boys, 1936, they had a moment in the sun. But Garveyism appealed. In fact, if you listen to Harold Cruz, he explains that we as a people, in a, a piece called, uh, in black world, called Black and White, um, he says we went into the Great Depression and World War II as nationalists, as a people, as a whole. Whether or not it was formed artificially by segregation or not, that was our mentality. We had gone from Uncle Tom to the New Negro. It was in L.A. It was in New York. Unia was in Oakland. Unia in L.A. was more radical than New, than New York's Unia. The Unia in New York had to calm the New York, the, the Unia in L.A. down. Charlotte, Charlotte Bass. Look up Charlotte Bass uh, and her husband. The Basses. The Basses ran Unia. They said, New York, Garvey, y'all ain't militant enough. Garvey came out in the 1920s out here to New York, uh, to L.A. and had 20,000 people in his audience. And the L.A. people said, nah, you still ain't militant enough. In fact, Garvey came out here to calm them down. That's why he came. And when he left, they said, nah, Garvey, we want more than some uh, uh, capitalism, black capitalism. We want real revolution. And the uh, women in L.A., the, the mothers that have never been written about. There's a book on uh, the L.A. Unia, if you Google it, uh, that documents this history. The Los Angeles Unia. And, uh, and Unia was in Oakland. Unia was in San Francisco. Unia was in Richmond. Unia was in Baltimore, Roxbury, Chicago, Philadelphia, Florida, Alabama, North Carolina. Unia was throughout the South. In fact, the reason Garvey ended up making a fatal move when he met with the Klan was because he and the Klan had an agreement to leave Unia alone. <clears throat> and Unia, if you look, compared to the Civil Rights Movement, you don't see Unia's headquarters being bombed, firebombed, and exploded. All out through in Alabama, Louisiana, in, uh, in Louisiana, Garvey had places throughout the South. Some of his largest Unia headquarters were in the South. 
and they were not harmed. Why? Because he made an agreement with the Klan, at, at least initially. And then it became the fatal move that Asa Philip Randolph and other enemies seized upon in the Garvey Got to Go campaign, and that destroyed Garvey. But Cruz makes clear that black America, after overcoming the Uncle Tom image, inserted a new image, a new Negro image, manifested in different forms, like the Renaissance art demonstration that is documented by Elaine Locke. This is in Henderson's book. The Theory of Black Revolution was provided by Elaine Locke, by W.E.B. Du Bois. Du Bois was so radical in his interpretation of what black people were doing in the Civil War that none of his contemporaries would approve the thesis that the slaves were throwing a revolution in the midst of an American revolution. And they got you talking about Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Damn, the movie Glory showed you Denzel dying. That, that was the tipping point of 189,000 to 250,000 armed black men. I dare you right now to get 250,000 black men anywhere in America in the same place and tell me that that ain't a damn revolution or a potential one. What in the hell would America do if 250,000 black men and women and young men and young women and their allies from every other background came together at one time in one place, armed. Tell me that ain't a revolutionary moment. And they got you talking about Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Jefferson, Davis, and Lincoln knew that whoever got those uh, Buffalo soldiers, whoever got those men that were built like Michael Jordan, whoever got those men that were built like uh, LeBron James, whoever got those women that were spies like uh, Harriet Tubman, Whoever got those women who were spies, like Rosa Parks, study Rosa Parks' history. She was a spy for Edie Nixon. Whoever got those, those, uh, those brothers on their side who learned quick. When they came, the game changed. The war was over when the black man showed up. When the black man showed up, the war ended. And Du Bois interpreted that as a revolution, a slave revolution, as a part of a general strike. And we don't even give ourselves Chris, our history credit. We keep claiming losses. We keep talking about the 13th Amendment is, uh, is mass incarceration. I love Ava DuVernay, but I don't want her as my history teacher. Because Harriet Tubman whooped the 13th Amendment's ass. Make that T-shirt. Frederick Douglass whooped the 13th Amendment's ass. Make that T-shirt. Soldier in the Truth whooped the 13th Amendment's ass. They used the 13th Amendment. They took that document as an impetus. That wasn't the end. That was the beginning for them. And they used what it suggested to them. They thought they were free in 1820 when the Missouri Compromise had been signed 40 years earlier. They thought they were free when the American Revolution happened, when a black man died for this country first, a 45-year-old black man at a bar. When the police came, the first police, the British, they shot him. Christmas addicts. Our people had been dying for these, for these struggles. And so when you think about the movements, when you think about our... Uh, adventures and misadventures. 
be clear, more often than not, it's because we have not given ourselves credit for our accomplishments. Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, David Walker. They had white allies, too, especially one man named John Brown. And every black man and woman in America on December 2nd, for the first 60 years of their freedom, celebrated a man named John Brown on December 2nd. For 60 years we did. They quit. Listen here, people. Du Bois and Trotter, who I talked about already, they launched a modern freedom movement. They launched a modern civil rights movement on the anniversary and at the location of John Brown's death in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, slash Virginia. And then they went out to uh, uh, Canada because they were too racist in America to launch the Niagara Movement, and they did it on the anniversary of Harper's Ferry. This is how they erase our history. Just like we created Juneteenth, just like we created Memorial Day, we had a holiday that we created on our own. One was called John Cunnering, K-U-N-N-I-R-N-G. This is in Stucky's work. But we also created uh, Juneteenth. The white folk just discovered it in 2020. Did y'all just see that? They just discovered it. We've been discovering it. We used to laugh at black folk from Texas for figuring it out when the rest of us Negroes are free. That's like the N-word. It's something we can say to them that the white man can't. That's the other thing. That's the, you want two things that we can say that white folk can't say? You can't say the N-word, and you can't clown a Negro from Texas because their ancestors found out late from General Sherman that they had been free for two years. But my New York back behind has been doing it my whole life. Uh, anytime somebody talk about the Cowboys, I'm a Giants fan. Uh, or, or some baseball team, I, 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 I remind them that you need girls from Texas. Y'all found out late. Now, I'm glad y'all found out late because y'all were the ones that preserved it. And y'all were the ones that kept it. And y'all were the ones that nurtured it. And y'all are the ones that kept it down underneath where they don't even know how we live. Oh, I love us. And we celebrated it and celebrated it as our deep culture. And then in 2020, they discovered it. That's what happened with the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam had been around for 30 years before Mike Wallace introduced it to the white people. They were like, oh, the hate that hate produced. And we had been walking past the temple ignoring it. But our, 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 our victories, this is the misreadings, people. These are the misadventures. What we have had a bad habit of doing is not understanding that even when you look at the Civil War, that's a real black revolution within a civil war that Barrington Moore, who was a tenured professor at Harvard, who uh, never even got, no, let me see, he never even got tenure because he was independently wealthy and never even tried to get tenure. Barrington Moore. When you're rich, you don't need tenure. When you broke like me and most black people I know who are professors, you need it because these white folk will mess with you if you don't have it. <laughs> uh, and, and so when you uh, think about, you know, uh, you know th th these sort of cycles and, and understand that, you know, when we think about, you know, the, the displays of black power and, and our victories, when you think about Harriet Tubman, you can't have Harriet Tubman on the 20 and also – talk about the 13th Amendment being the source of mass incarceration. That's just bad history. Either Harriet Tubman and her generation won or slavery won. 
But you can't say Harriet is great and slavery kept winning. Either either Frederick, Doug, Frederick Douglass, another man that we should know and don't, Charles Remond, R-E-M-O-N-D, he was like the Chrysler 300 compared to the uh, Bentley. Uh, they, they they say that the 300 looked like a Bentley until uh, until a Bentley show up. Well, Charles Remond was Frederick Douglass until Frederick Douglass showed up. He was a free Negro uh, for Garrison uh, up in Boston, and then a slave who uh, was six foot tall and whooped a white man's behind uh, recently, escaped from Maryland, came, and they uh, uh, and poor Charles Remond, who had done amazing things, now you don't even know who he is. Well, you look him up, Charles Remond. That brother needs to be recovered, just like William Monroe Trotter. Um, uh, but we need to acknowledge young people. Get your kids to listen to this. Get your young boys to listen to me right now. Get your daughters to listen to this. Because they're not going to give this to you anywhere else in America. Farrakhan don't even have this. Because if he did, he wouldn't have misread the million men march the way he did. He completely messed it up. And it wasn't his right to mess it up. It wasn't his movement. That movement belonged to the generation after him. That movement belonged to the hip-hop generation. That was their movement. Farrakhan imposed himself on that movement over the whole decade of the hip-hop generation and ruined it, obsessing on Jews. Jews are not black people's major problem. White people, as Harold Cruz James Baldwin and even Adolf, even Adolf Reed, God, I'm quoting Adolf Reed, even Adolf Reed says, ain't no damn black anti-Semitism in America. If there was black anti-Semitism in America, there wouldn't be nobody here. There's 45 million of us. We live right next to you in Brooklyn. The Hasidim in Bensonhurst, over in, uh, in, uh, in Brownsville. We've been living next to each other when nobody else would let you live near them. The only people you can live next to, the Jews and the Irish and the Italians, nobody would let them live near them but the black man in America. And all of them have sold us out. All of them. And they're the most racist out of all of them, especially the Irish. Who do you think, they got, who do you think the police are? Studying the history of law enforcement in America, and you ain't doing nothing but studying Irish history. In New York, in Boston, in Tennessee, the first riot ever to happen against black people was when the Irish police of Memphis took their guns against the free black men who had just, in their uniforms, been disarmed. And they were all young, drunk men partying, hanging out. And the Irish police couldn't take the freedom of black men walking down the streets. Free. They couldn't take it. They were cool for two centuries as long as you were in chains. But if you got up, they couldn't take it. When nobody wanted the Irish. When there were signs saying the Irish not need apply. Dogs, Negroes, and the Irish. They couldn't live nowhere. People want to talk about Zydeco and New Orleans music and the Irish influence on it. 
Well, what the hell you think minstrel was? All minstrel was was the Irish copying us when they were working with us and working with us in the waterways. This is in a book called Love and Theft. This is in a book called The Creolization of, the, of American Culture. This is a, a book called How the Irish Became White. This is the scholarship. I'm passionate, yes. I'm screaming, yes. These are screaming times. And, and, and Ms. And Graham, what she said may have been a bad timing, but it was not the wrong time. These are MFing times. These are some MFing times, people. If you ain't screaming, you ain't paying attention. This man invoked the 1807 slave insurrection law on y'all three weeks ago. On your children. And white people still laughing. Thinking he, he playing uh, Steinbrenner on The Apprentice. Why this devil, to finish that point off, this devil didn't even come up with MAGA. MAGA is Reagan's. You're fired in Steinbrenner's. Donald Trump ain't even Donald Trump. This fool's name is Trump. And he's been in this country. His mama and him and his grandmama. Do y'all know Donald Trump is a second-generation American? This fool with his Scotch-Irish background, he just got here. That's why he keep marrying his women who ain't from here, because they sound just like his mama and his grandmama. Y'all wanted to figure out why he married, uh, what was that name? Uh, Yvonne, uh, uh, I don't want to know their names. I'm trying not to say them right. You know why he married them? Because they, they look like his mama. You seen that extraterrestrial thing? That, 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 that you know, that old, well, you, I, I'll be nice, because that's somebody's mama. And black people, we respect mamas. But, uh, you know, Yurugus had baby too. Yurugus had babies, too. The Yurugus had baby too. Uh, the demons had babies, too. And um, if you look at uh, her, uh, that's what the niece just brought out in the book on Trump. I bought one, and you should too. I didn't, I didn't buy it to read it. I bought it just to help with the sales. I wanted to put my Negro dollars and help irritate the hell out of Donald Trump by helping his niece's sales go out the roof. And you should too. Because she told the truth that they are a bunch of monsters, ungodly people, unrighteous, no God in their lives, no love, hatred, meanness, no warmth. They let their brother die in the hospital by his goddamn self. They let his brother die in the hospital by himself. You got your relatives. You know why he don't give a damn about your relatives dying in the emergency room right now by themselves? Because he let his own brother die in the emergency room by himself. We got to take a break so some of y'all can call in and calm me down. But you want to understand why Donald Trump don't care about your relatives? I know 20 people from Glen Cove, Long Island, New York, 20 of them, Soupy Barnes, Frankie Mickens, Aretha, Aretha was my family's Wilona when we lived in the projects. She was Wilona to us. She died. I know a bunch of people that I grew up with, 20 of them from my projects who are now gone because of this devil. And we the ones dying. And that's why we, uh, that's why we have to have this conversation that we're having today. Uh, because, um, 
because COVID is killing us. The police are killing us. The healthcare system is killing us. The politics are killing us. The Democrats are killing us. The Republicans are killing us. The cities are killing us. Flint, Detroit, Minnesota, Portland. And they can't. Because you know who's dying? In 33 out of the 50 states in America, the white population is dying. In most of America, the birth rates of white people are not keeping up with their death rates. And that ain't hate. That's science. Look it up. Google it. 33. And that's not including the 130 white people that are dying every day from the opioid crisis in New Hampshire and Oklahoma and Long Island. And that's not, in, that, that's not including the COVID new numbers that have been around for four months. That is killing them, too. It's just killing us faster. And then coming down to, um, coming down to uh, the, you know, uh, the way in which COVID uh, has affected our communities uh, and exposed the inequality, the wealth inequality, and the fact that our people are on the front lines as workers, always talking about us as lazy, we don't work, and now we're dying to work. We're dying because of work with no protections, no workers' protections. So you want to understand why black power is back? It's haunting America again because America won't do right by its people, and you keep misreading it. Black Lives Matter is black power. Even the kids that's calling it, doing it, don't understand it. How the hell do you think it happened in the same place in Oakland? How do you think Kaepernick came from here? How do you think Oakland took a wall or Occupy away from New York City? New York, New York, Broadway, the biggest place on the planet, Oakland, little West Coast city, with nowhere else to go, with his back against the wall, ends up taking over Occupy and taking on OPD and wearing OPD out. I think I'm supposed to uh, take a break. I'm, uh, I need to check because I'm so on fire that if I don't uh, stop, it's going to be the whole uh, two hours, everybody's going to be mad at me saying, Taylor, you didn't let us call. And, and I'm famous for this. Uh, anybody that knows me knows uh, I have to literally be told to shut up. So I'm going to take a break and drink some water and, uh, and check. Um, so you can drink some water too. But don't go away. Uh, we want you to stay. We want you to, uh, uh, to, to check us out uh, online. Uh, check us out on, on Blog uh, Talk Radio. Uh, we want you to get on Facebook and comment. Uh, if you have questions, we want you to send your questions. Um, we have time uh, to get it in, and, and we want you to uh, get it in. Uh, but I want um, to make sure I check with Ms. Graham to make sure um, I'm on point, because uh, this is my first time hosting this show, so uh, it's probably not a good idea to have Malcolm X host the show, you know. It's probably good to have somebody interview him so you can shut him up, because if Malcolm, could you imagine if they just gave Malcolm the microphone <laughs> or gave Huey the microphone or gave Ella Baker the microphone or gave Fannie Lou the microphone and just let it in the open air, Lord have mercy, uh, uh, the revolution would have been on radio, <clears throat> and that's what we need. We need black radio. Black people, you need to be listening to black radio. Support black radio in all of its forms. Support everything black people. We got to step up. If you broke, support what you can, and it's going to come back to you. You've been given to your pastors and your churches, and I'm not being disrespectful, for years. While you were broke, expecting a return, well, give black 
and black will bless you, bless you back in the way your children change, in the way our sons and daughters change, in the way they pick up themselves. But we got to start somewhere, and we're going to start right here on Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Uh, Janice Graham, again, uh, said some revolutionary things in these revolutionary times, because these are revolutionary times. Uh, don't <clears throat> misunderstand these times. Uh, but, again, to finish my earlier point, when you think about the cycles of black movements in these 30-year cycles of generations of black people, the black power movement is only 30 years after the Garvey movement comes to an end. And to finish my point earlier, Cruz said we all went into the black, we went, we went into the Great Depression, we went into uh, the, the 20s, the teens, we came out the plantations, went into uh, that movement and came into a, con a consciousness, not about Garvey, but just that whole period of black consciousness, kept it into the World War II and into the Great Depression through our jazz and our blues and migrations to the cities, and we took it to the cities. And then we came out after the Gunnar Myrdal study in 1945, after, after Jackie Robinson in 47, after Joe Lewis's uh, successes, and after uh, white folk couldn't resist our culture, uh, you know, uh, Harry Truman integrated the armed forces, um, and, and then and the next thing you know, uh, you know, Asa Philip Randolph threatened FDR uh, in 41 to march on them uh, if they didn't integrate the armed forces. So the NAACP wing and the integrationist wing of black people, if you look at the original leader of the uh, NAACP, Walter White, he was whiter than uh, Ben Jealous. Ben Jealous, I love him, uh, but him and Walter White could be twins. Uh, Walter White was so white that Walter White went to lynchings in ten Tennessee, and he was in a taxi leaving the, one of the lynchings. And the taxi driver said to him, um, uh, you know, they just lynched a you-know-what down the street, uh, and, uh, and, and, they, and they think there's one around here trying to hide uh, and, and masquerade as one. And he was talking to him in the taxi. And, and that's how white Walter White was. Walter White was the enemy of W.B.E.B. Du Bois. When Du Bois wanted to go revolutionary and radical with the NACP, which was radical for its beginnings, it was radical uh, until black folks showed up with their own black organizations like the Garvey Union Movement, which had the most mass appeal to black people in history. To this day, Martin Luther King's movement is dwarfed by Garveyism. Dwarfed. They want to make sure King... Is known, but they don't want you to know Garvey, because Garvey wasn't even about Garvey. Garvey was about Queen Mother Moore. Garvey was about, well, if you want to read a book uh, called At the Dark End of the Street, about Harriet Tubman, about uh, Rosa Parks, it says that Rosa Parks was a, a, a Garveyite, Unia child who had a rifle in the beginning of the book, uh, At the Dark End of the Street, by a white woman scholar. Google it about the rape of Reese Taylor, where, where Rosa Parks had been a spy 11 years earlier in Abbeville, South Carolina. She took a gun and was at the door waiting for the Klan with her granddaddy, who was funding the Scottsboro Boys with, through UNEA. Edie Nixon, the guy she was working for, when she integrated when, with the bus, with the bus boycott. This is in my book, with the bus boycott. Her boss was a UNEA and labor activist and an integrationist. He was Junior and NAACP, E.D. Nixon. I keep hearing the beat, so Ms. Graham is 
uh, if, if you try to get my attention, you're going to have to hit me on the email to stop me. Because uh, I'm, otherwise I'm afraid I'm going I'm to hit the wrong button. Thank you. <laughs> we're, we're coming in for a commercial right now. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Every 10 years, the census comes along, and it seems like everyone I know always asks the same two questions. What is the census, and why does it even matter? Let me give it to you straight. The census counts every single person living in America. An accurate count of our community tells us where there are more people, and where there are more people, there are more needs. Our participation could impact how public funding flows to our schools, health clinics, senior care, job training, and housing. It even determines our congressional representation. I don't know about you, but it sure sounds like the census matters to me. This year, take a little time for the 2020 census. You can complete it online, by phone, or by mail, and make sure you count everybody you live with. Your mama, daddy, sweethearts, babies, roommates, everyone. This chance only comes every 10 years, so let's step up and be counted. Shape your future. Start here. Learn more at 2020census.gov. Paid for by U.S. Census Bureau. We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals, our banks destroy the economy, the inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression, and you can go down the line. You can go down the line. The Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio. <laughs> one, two, one. He's back, and your Wednesdays just got served. The Alpha Show on TruthWorks Network, premiering August 26th. Alpha's back and ready for the struggle. It's on The Alpha Show, August 26th, your Wednesdays. Alpha serving hot grips with politics. Wednesdays, 10 p.m. The Alpha Show, TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m. Hosting the best of pushback talk radio. Good evening, and thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. This is Janice Graham. We believe that the work we do at Our Common Ground is vital and important to inspiring, establishing the aspirations, and creating a community of love and empowerment. As a result, I have been suspended from broadcasting, we believe that 
violation of certain principles and and policy are important. Uh, please join me next week, Saturday, with our guest, Dr. Wilma Leon. And on Wednesday, as I co-host the last episode of Wednesday Night Open Mic Night at Our Common Ground, the Alpo Show will be broadcasting on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. At TruthWorks Network, where this truth must be spoken more than once. Join me on Wednesday at 10 p.m. with Alpha as my co-host for the final broadcast of Wednesday Night Open Mic on Wednesday, 10 p.m. Thank you for your listenership and your support of Our Common Ground. We must be the leaders that we want. And now back to Our Common Ground. In tonight at Our Common Ground for Janice Graham, our guest host, Dr. James L. Taylor. Thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. Now back to Dr. Taylor. Welcome back. Welcome back to Our Common Ground. Uh, we're talking tonight the consequences of the black of black. Uh, political misadventures, and who pays? What are the consequences? Uh, Dr. Graham said that uh, Professor William Leon, Wilma Leon is going to be on next week. He, like myself, is a political scientist, uh, has his own telev- a radio program. Uh, check out uh, Brother Leon. In fact, when I got my book done on black nationalism, he was the first person to interview me. Uh, he hasn't had me back on. He needs to, but, uh, but I uh, appreciate him allowing me on the one time that he did. Uh, Brother Leon is going to come in next week. He'll probably be a lot calmer, but he is full of information and on the cutting edge of so much that is going on right now uh, and from a unique uh, as opposed to purchased perspective. And I hope that's what you realize you're getting tonight, uh, an unpurchased perspective um, and, uh, and for t- in, in the sense that, um, you know, we're giving it unfiltered. Uh, yeah, nobody owns me. I don't have any commercials. You, you, if you find me online, it's because somebody put it there, <clears throat> not because I did. Uh, and so we want to remind you tonight we're talking about the consequences of black mis- uh, political misadventures. Uh, and we want to dedicate uh, this uh, part of and this segment uh, to Nia Wilson, uh, who was a young lady who was from Oakland, California, who was stabbed uh, in the neck at the West Oakland BART uh, a couple of years back, uh, about four years ago, by a racist um, a deranged racist stabbed her and her sister in the neck and killed Nia. Her sister survived, um, and the family was destroyed by this. Uh, Nia is NYA, and here in downtown Oakland, uh, all throughout Oakland, the street artists have taken over with street art of the most beautiful type, with Nia Wilson and Oscar Grant and all of the names of young people across the country, including Floyd, uh, George Floyd, all over. Thousands of pictures. You should come to downtown Oakland and see it, where the street artists have taken where the graffiti was and where the broken windows were and painted over the most amazing street art, colorful, beautiful, Afrocentric. And I saw young Asian white girls, uh, young black men, uh, gay, straight, everything out there making these murals, uh, transgender people out there making these murals 
are putting up the names of their friends. One of them says, and it's so sad, it says, our friends' names are, the city is covered with the names of our dead friends. That's what the main poster says down in downtown Oakland, because the street artists have taken over to show the political world and the activist world uh, that there's an art world that is still alive and vibrant and relevant, and we need to appreciate art. Black people need to keep art alive. I'm not talking about high art. I'm not talking about fancy art. In fact, our low art was their high art. Uh, what was his name? Ba- ba- uh, Basquiat. See, that wasn't no, nothing but some hip-hop rap. That wasn't nothing but a beach street and electric boogaloo. And he put it on some pla- uh, some old silk. He put some tape together <laughs> and then put some rubber on it and some plastic and then put a picture of Shabby-Doo and a couple of rappers. Next thing you know, uh, he was famous, and Andy Warhol discovered him, right? Um, you know, and so when you look at our, our, our experience, uh, it's an amazing experience, and we want to dedicate this time to Nia Wilson's memory. Uh, if you know Nia Wilson, tell her family that we're on radio in Oakland uh, talking on our common ground, dedicating this time to, to, to her memory. Uh, there's a bakery in downtown Oakland uh, owned as a co-op by workers, not by any bosses. And they kept a large picture uh, and her name out in public, on public display, for everyone to see uh, in the so-called white community for months and months after her passing. And I don't want people to forget about Nia Wilson. Um, in fact, she was killed on the anniversary of her boyfriend's drowning. And her boyfriend <clears throat> was a young man who was with a young person from my own fa- uh, family uh, named Joe. So Nia's boyfriend and Joe uh, had drowned in a boat uh, drowning uh, the previous year. And, 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 it, and at their funeral, this is sick, but at, this is, listen to the death, these, these horrible things that happened behind her death. Nia Wilson was killed coming from the memorial service of her boyfriend, who died because his stupid father decided to defy a captain of a boat and got off and swam with the two teenage boys and did not have a life jacket, and the captain didn't know they jumped off. The captain left them in the middle of the body of water. The father could swim. Both boys could swim. The boat didn't know they were gone. Nobody knew they were gone. They both drowned. And the idiot father survived and is alive somewhere. And Nia was coming from their memorial. Meanwhile, at the funeral for these two boys in downtown Oakland off of 14th and Webster, while at the funeral service for the two boys who drowned, at their funeral, at their funeral, a young girl who did praise dance in the funeral of the two boys that drowned. After she finished doing a praise dance, went outside after the funeral, and some idiots were out on the corner gambling, started fighting, and because they don't know how to fight, somebody pulled out a gun, shot and killed the girl who had just done the praise dance at the funeral of the two boys who had drowned. A year later... Nia went to the memorial for these three children that died. And when she got back home with her sister at Bart, this devil.
lover walks up to her and stabs her in the neck and takes her life. That's why you need to know who Nia Wilson is. It's tragedy on top of tragedy on top of tragedy on top of layers of tragedy. Black tragedy. Some of the things our children are experiencing, our ancestors, not all of them, but just certain generations of them, because our ancestors have seen all of this before across the board, but all of them did not see some of this. But some of them saw some of this, but not what some of these kids are saying. For example, John Lewis, may God rest his wonderful soul, once said uh, when the Trayvon Martin protests were going on, I walk a mile in my shoes. And I appreciate John Lewis's shoes. But John Lewis, as bad as he got beat, didn't go through what Trayvon Martin went through. Didn't go through what Michael Brown went through. Our children have seen things that Martin Luther King saw, but not nearly as intensely, not nearly as openly. You didn't have people choking black people on TV. You had them hitting them with water hoses, biting them with dogs, and, and hitting them with sticks, but you didn't have them choking us. This is some new evil we're seeing. They've been doing it. But now the technology has exposed it. And this is why you must use the Oscar Grant murder as the beginning of all of what we're seeing. It's not Black Lives Matter. It's the anti-police brutality movement. Period. It don't even deserve a label. It started on the night that Oscar Grant was murdered, on December 31st, 2008. Why is it special? Not because he was the first killed of an era. It's because his death was filmed by video, and the cop used the explanation that it was his technology that uh, he mistook, uh, his taser, which is new technology in policing, that led to his misunderstanding which weapon he was pulling in and killed Grant. So both the excuse in the technology and also in the video recording of Oscar Grant's death. Sean Bell in uh, New York had been shot 41 times. But it wasn't filmed. The Rampart Division in L.A., 77th Division in L.A., LAPD, had massive scandals around the deaths of Tupac and Biggie and their own scandals. Look it up. Just Google Rampart, LAPD, and watch how your screen fills up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. Not 20, hundreds on Rampart. And watch Biggie and Tupac show up. And it ain't no conspiracy theory. When you think about what our people have been through and you keep seeing familiar things in our movements that people keep saying, well, is this, well, is this black power? How does black power relate to black rights? How does civil rights, well, are these kids civil rights movement? Or what can they learn from the civil? Well, again, we keep misreading our history, not claiming victories, and we should be claiming victories to inform ourselves so we can be, uh, incorporate those with confidence as we move forward. If we understood that the uh, uh, Civil War was a revolution within a revolution. If we understood that Harriet Tubman and her generation and Frederick Douglass and others uh, were successful in defeating slavery, even after her uh, 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 escapes, she becomes a spy. And these idiots on, on, the, uh, on the Internet keep saying she was a sellout. Well, damn it, she was a sellout for the Union Army. She was on the same side as Martin Delaney. She was on the same side as Frederick Douglass. I mean, you got, some of y'all need to read. 
That's, that's what I mean by misunderstanding the misadventures. Half these people in adults, half these people in these little uh, hotel uh, web bloggers, these little popular people, half of them don't even know the history they're talking about. They're presentists. They only know now, which means they are reading the end of a book that they are part of and don't read the middle and the previous chapters of the same damn book. This is one black book in America with a bunch of chapters, with a bunch of diversity of all kinds in ideas and movements and leaders and, uh, uh, and moments and fronts, F-R-O-N-T-S, fronts, labor front, uh, the women's front, the religion front, the movement front, the electoral front, the arts front, the protest front. Damn it, there's not a front that we have not taken up and mastered as a people in this country. And there's not another people on the planet, nowhere, that has a record like us. In the belly of the most powerful thing humans have produced over the past 400 years at war with you on a daily basis. And you standing up strong. As I said, check out what's happening in terms of the demographics. It ain't because black people are, le- are jumping across the border. It ain't because Mexicans are coming across the border. It ain't become because uh, other people come across the border. It's because it's because of the birth rates of white women in America. Latinas 20 years ago were outperforming white women birth rates in every county in America, including in places like Vermont, New Hampshire, South Dakota, North Dakota. That's Latinos. This is from the U.S. Census. By 2050, they expect the black population to be 65 million people. We're 45 million right now. Ain't no genocide. If there's genocide, it's cultural genocide, but it ain't no physical genocide. We're too strong. They don't have enough cops. They got 1.5 million cops. There's 45 million black people. That's what Malcolm meant when he says, we don't care nothing about the odds. The only thing they got at their exposure is our goodness and our decency and our long-suffering. And you can see some of it is wearing out in some places. Uh, but you have to look at the cycles of your own experience. You got to understand that Booker. Uh, you got to understand that the uh, the Reconstruction period is a is a is a is a high point in our politics. Our first political generation. And then you understand the Harlem Renaissance as our art movement. And all other kind of movements were going on at that time. But that was the cultural front. And then you understand um, Booker Washington's program under accommodationism from 1880s until 1895 when he dies. That was the economic front. And under Booker, there were 60,000 black businesses in America, startups, before startups were startups. We were the first people to ever start startups ups. Us and the Chinese with their laundromats and us in all other kinds of areas. We had Rose we had Rosewood. We had Mound Bayou. We had uh, 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 Black Wall Street. They couldn't take it. Lynchings weren't because of rape. Ida B. Wells documented that lynchings were because of economic competition, because we were too successful for them economically. 
they lynched in Tulsa in 1921. Black people were doing too good, and they were pro-white people, the Irish, who resented us. Because when they came, as I said earlier, they were lower than the lowest of the low. You don't even know this, but the word Irish itself is a racial slur. The word Irish is the N-word for white people. They, you don't even know it. That's why they call themselves the fighting Irish. It's like our kids taking the N-word and throwing it back at them and saying, yeah, we ends with the A. That's how you, what do you think Notre Dame is? Notre Dame is all about Irish people and their culture and preserving it. What do you think policing is about in America? Let a black cop die and see if that black cop ain't got to listen to Danny Boy be sang. The Irish song about a man named Danny O'Connell who took the black American position in the race war against our people. When it came down to it, when Charles Remond went to Dublin, the brother I talked about earlier, Remond went to Dublin and got Danny O'Connell to agree to take the black side in the American situation. And the American Irish said to Danny O'Connell, no, we must take the white side. And the Irish betrayed black people. This is something you must understand before you leave this earth. Part of our predicament was our closest white friends, the Irish and the Italians, they couldn't live nowhere in New York near a place called Five Towns. If you look at the movie Gangs of New York, that was Five Towns. And you see they beat the Irish's ass every time, the, every episode. The Irish were getting beat. You saw them have the draft riots because the Irish didn't want to fight for us. Well, Minstrel had something to do with that, too. I'm going to come back to my other point. But Minstrel had something to do with that, too. Minstrel came out of, I gave you the source material. Minstrel came out of Irish and black boys dancing together on their breaks in the waterways of America in Long Island, New York, where I'm from, in, uh, in, uh, uh, in, in the north. Uh, Blackface Minstrel was born in New York, not in Alabama. It was born in Broadway as theater. Charles Dixon, uh, 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 Tom, Tom, Thomas Dixon, and, um, and W.D. Griffith with Birth of a Nation. That's that history. And so be clear that when you look at our, our history in these cycles, we've had a lot of victories that we keep calling losses. For you to say that the, 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 the mass incarceration is the new Jim Crow is such a bad label and a bad name for a book. Jim Crow was the whole American race system. Every black man and every black woman was called Jim Crow because of a musical play by a white man, called, and the play was called Jim Crow. And every white man in America, like they do right now with hip-hop, where they market at 6 o'clock, ain't nothing but hip-hop on selling you American products, commodified. Well, it happened earlier with Minstrel. Minstrel dominated. Blackface dominated. Why do you think they just got rid of Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben and Wheat Farina and some of these other labels? Uh, recently, because they're holdovers from a period from the 1840s to the 1940s where blackface minstrel uh, uh, marketing uh, was used in all of our uh, 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 marketing. But guess what happened? And this is what Spike Lee don't tell you in the movie Boomerang. See, Spike just projects us as a victim of Boomerang, but Spike Lee needed to tell the whole story. That movie needed to end telling the truth about a man named uh, uh, Burt Williams, who was the Jay-Z of minstrels, 
who showed up in blackface as a black man with a black body. Remember my 300 versus Bentley theme that the white man, uh, like Al Jolson, his little skinny self, he was a Jew, hiding behind his white black face so that people wouldn't see that he was Jewish to be hated. So he was hiding his Jewishness behind his black mask so they wouldn't hate him because they had just lynched Leo Frank in Marietta, Georgia in 1915. So Al Jolson is trying to black up so he can make sure that whites who hate us and hate Jews didn't turn on them. So he sells us out. Al Jolson, the most famous minstrel, sold us out. These were white men who were our friends, who watched black men move and dance. Uncle Remus's stories, the songs of the South, telling about that black culture, the banjo and the rabbit. Where the hell you think Bugs Bunny comes from with, with WB, with, uh, with Bugs Bunny? Hell, uh, Walt Disney built his whole empire off of an African symbol of a donkey, of, of, a, of, a, of a rabbit. The rabbit is essential to the history of Africa. Where do you think Brad Rabbit comes from? Where the hell do you think Bugs Bunny comes from? Where the hell do you think Wolfman Jack comes from? Wolfman Jack ain't nothing but a white man form and face of Howlin' Wolf. Just like they can't come up with anything like something new, they got to say white lives matter because they can't think of nothing. They got to say white lives matter, blue lives matter, because when we said black lives matter originally, they didn't know what to say. So all they could do is say, well, shit, we white, so we'll say white lives matter. That's just very uncreative. It lacks imagination. They got QAnon and all this alt-right and all this old stuff, and they get, that's the best they could do. And they need to understand, we was here when their grandmamas was racist, so we ain't going nowhere. They could keep on doing their little pinky, you know, that little stupid okay, the sign that Buckwheat, that Buckwheat used to do? That's how stupid they've gotten. These white folk with this QAnon, they go, I, I can't say this on the show because then I'll be getting suspended too. And I'm just a guest. But I, I say they be telling you how big they are when they be showing you a little uh, pinky finger when they do the OK sign. You can read between the lines. Do it with your fingers and you'll understand what I mean when they be showing their size. They be, it's, com, it's compensatory. It's compensatory racism because they know they dying out on their own. We're not killing them. Black folk ain't killing white folk. White folk kill white folk 87% of the times that white people are killed. They don't even have a name for it in America. And you got black people running around talking about black-on-black crime. Well, who calls it American-on-American crime? Americans kill each other more than any people in the civilized world. How come nobody calls it American police on Americans? No country in the world has 500 white people get shot. Trump was right last week when he says white people get shot too. But they're too caught up in their whiteness to appreciate that they're the most shot white people on the planet. They're the most incarcerated white people on the planet. They are the most punished white people on the planet. They are the most impoverished white people in the industrialized world, and they are the shortest living and have the shortest life expectancy. They've been spending three, four hundred years trying to kill us, and they dying out. And this is the tragedy of now. You want to understand Trump? That's what explains Trump. Their crises. Their crises. What do you think Bernie's been trying to tell you for ten years? What do you think Elizabeth Warren's been trying to tell you for ten years? That's why their sons and daughters are out there rioting first. As soon as they saw us, they said, oh, hell, we ain't going to sit around and watch this time because this ain't working for none of us. And so the children went out there and confused America. And they started lying on them. The first thing they say is, they ain't from here. Uh, well, they, these outsiders, Antifa, they, they come, they're not from here. Everybody in America.
said these Americans wasn't from America. Did y'all hear them? Everybody disowned these white boys from America. They ain't from here. They mostly be outsiders. That's what they said about Martin Luther King in the Birmingham letter. When he went to Birmingham, he's an outsider. That's what they said about these kids. So when they start talking about these rioters being from outside, that's what they said about Martin Luther King. That's what they said about Stokely in Alabama and in SNCC and in Macomb, Mississippi. Where, uh, this is a side note, Brandy Norwood, the, the singer, her granddaddy, uh, 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 Mr. Bates, was the bus driver who owned the buses in Macomb, Mississippi, during the Black Power Movement, uh, during the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party Movement. Look up, look it up. In Macomb, Mississippi, Brandy and Ray J's grandmama and granddaddy had the buses that Carmichael and others in Macomb, Mississippi, used to organize the black folk. Black people had their own businesses. Their grandfather, uh, Brandy's grandmother, Miss Bates, Sonia Norwood's mother, the one that be on the reality TV show, their mother took a gun down to the sheriff who took the license from Mr. Bates and Macomb and wouldn't let him operate his bus business, and they went down to the sheriff with their guns and put the gun to the sheriff. Brandy's, gra- Brandy's grandmama did. Not the grandfather. Brandy's grandmama, a Christian woman who loved the Lord all her life and believed in the Bible better than anybody I ever met. Her grandmother went down there with a the gun. You need to read the book, that, uh, that Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Shot or Killed. That's the name of the book. That Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed. Or a book called uh, We Will Shoot Back by Emoja um, uh, 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 Akinyele from Atlanta. This brother wrote the book that shows that all that, I had, all that peace marching, all I have a dream speeching King was doing was because armed men, armed women, like Rosa Parks, were behind the shadows letting the Klan know, we will shoot back. Look up your own history. They, they don't want you to know about Robert Williams because you might end up with too many Micah X's in Dallas. They don't want you to know you went into Garvey, you went into the pre-World War II period full of nationalism and came out integrationist. You went in with a Garvey head and came out with a King head. You went in with a Garvey head and came out with an a integrationist head. You went in looking like Garvey, you came out looking like Ben Jealous. That's what happened. And we lost our consciousness. And when black power revives it, they're just extending what was always there in the black community, under the radar, in a subterranean sense, always in the churches, always in the religious sects, always in the religious cults, the subcultures, like the Nation of Islam, the Moorish Science Temple, the Poor Righteous Teachers, the 5% Nation, and all the local groups, um, uh, like the Rastafari. The Rastafarians were not born in Jamaica. Hear ye, hear ye. The Rastafarians were born in Harlem under Leonard T. Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L, the original gong, as in junior gong, the Rastafari son of Bob Marley, he's naming himself after Leonard P. Howell, who was a Garveyite when, who, when uh, Halle Selassie was elevated, celebrated that moment and, uh, and deified Halle Selassie, and Garvey rejected the deification. But Leonard P. Howell nevertheless created Rastafari culture in Harlem, New York, and then he later went in the 1930s to Jamaica and hooked up with some indigenous brothers who were practicing similar practices as a Rastafari, and then Leonard P. Howell added marijuana, ganja, to the religious practices to put people in touch with their, um, their ish and to 
uh, and to uh, to worship as a form of religious uh, Christianity. Rastafari is a form of black religion and black Christianity, and uh, and is widely practiced. And if you listen to Bob Marley, Bob Marley is telling you what he believes when he tells you get up, stand up, uh, stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Uh, don't you know, uh, you know? You know, stand up for your rights. Uh, he says, "I'm sick and tired of the ism, schism, dying to go to heaven in a Jesus name." We know there's a uh, that they understand. A mighty God is a living man. You can fool some people sometimes. You can't fool all the people all the time. See that? That's Bob Molly. He said, "A mighty God is a living man." He's talking about his beliefs. In Rastafari, that was born in Harlem and taken to Jamaica. Hip-hop was born in Jamaica and brought to Bronx by a cool herc and red alert in the 70s in a transatlantic black cultural exchange. This is why we must never give up our music. We must never give up our culture. And we got to figure out how to get ownership of it from those who are using it to try to destroy it and use it by promoting the most vulgar aspect of it, which has always been a part of our culture. We've always had the low low. You can go back and look at some old, old music and, and uh, listen to Muddy Waters talk about uh, Bang Bang. Shoot them up, Bang Bang. Listen to Muddy Waters talking about Bang Bang. Muddy Waters going into the club, he caught his woman cheating, and he talking about Bang Bang. He didn't take care of business. Don't, you know, the kids, they be talking all this hate today, all this misogyny. Uh, go back and listen to some uh, uh, the old blues. And the women been talking back. You listen to uh, 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 Sister Rosa, uh, Rosetta Thornton, Thornton. Or listen to uh, 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 Big Mama um, uh, Thornton. Or, or listen to, uh, you know, people like Howlin' Wolf. You know, and, 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 uh, and Robert Johnson. You know, uh, Bobby Blue. These are, this is where our power is. This is where they still don't understand us. Even if they can learn the music, like like uh, David Stanborn or or Kenny G, Lord have mercy. Woo! I've never listened to a Kenny G music, have you? I've never listened to his music for like five minutes. I, as soon as it come on, I'm like, oh, Lord, help. I can't listen to Kenny G. I don't care what you say. I ain't listening. I don't want no doobies in my music. I don't want no Kenny G. You can give me some boss gags. I'll take some boss gags, you know. Uh, ooh, cause that's it. I'll take any Tina Marie you got, any Tina Marie. But but you can have the uh, the other dude I was talking about. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, uh, and 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 I, you know. But when you talk about our culture, when you understand where minstrel came from, minstrel came from white people looking at our beautiful blackness, and then they mimicked it, and then they blackened up, and they tried to act like us, and then they ended up the N-word, then they racialized it. And as racial change changes in the 1820s, 1830s, David Walker's Appeal is written, which is black power in the 1829, 1830s. David Walker's Appeal was black power in America. He put the appeal in the coats of Navy soldiers, white men, white soldiers, took the appeal down to the black churches where the illiterate people uh, would, would sit around, the slaves would listen to the preachers read the appeal that called for slave insurrections. David Walker said, this land, America, is ours. Our ancestors died here. Our ancestors' blood is here. 
black nationalism to David Walker is understanding the blood of Africans in America gave us purchase on this land. It gave us lease on this land. With, and this is not to disrespect the Native American people on whose land I sit on right now as you hear me speak. I sit on the Ohlone people's land, the people who lived in this land peacefully for 3,000 years in the Bay Area without war, without rape, without violence, with another people who didn't even call themselves tribes. The Ohlone were black like black Americans are black. Look up the Ohlone. They won't even let them get gaming. They wouldn't even let them get any Indian gaming because they are not a tribe. They were from Sacramento down to San Jose, and there was thousands of them for 3,000 years of peace. And the first day the first white man showed up in 1776 with the Spanish cross on the mast of the uh, 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 ship. It was just like that movie Apocalypto. That scene where the indigenous people are fighting and raping and killing each other, this did not happen here with the Ohlone, but it happened in South America. As soon as they saw in that movie Apocalypto, they saw the cross, all of their indigenous rivalries went away forever. Well, that happened here, but there were no rivalries. The Ohlone people ruled the Bay Area for 3,000 years, from the time of the Roman Empire until the American Revolution. Brown people, in peace. With other African, I mean, other uh, Indians, the Miwoks, they can't get gaming because they didn't even call themselves a tribe. They were just humans living off the land. This happened in Australia, too. There's a book called Fatal Shore that you should read that documents how the Africans and the Indonesians, the Aborigines, who say they are black, go over and ask an Australian what he is, a black Australian. An Aborigine will call himself a black man. An Aboriginal woman calls herself a black woman in relationship to the Irish who were dropped off there by the British in what they called a, um, uh, 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 um, they called it a, a klept, uh, they called it a, something like a, a, a kleptocracy. Um, they dropped them off. They didn't even do like they did here with Lewis and Clark and let them uh, uh, survey and excavate the land. They just dropped them off. They dropped off the English poor and the Irish over to uh, Australia, and the Australians and the Indonesians had been trading in peace for 3,000 years. This is in the book Fatal Shore. For those of you who have been mistaught that, uh, with Adam Smith's book that this is the wealth of nations, it's inevitability that nations do violence, rape, kill, use capitalism to destroy. Hell no. I just gave you two ancient examples. Here in the Bay Area for 3,000 years, and in Australia, before they dropped off the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the criminals uh, of the Irish and English working class in Ireland, uh, I mean, uh, in Australia, the Aborigine who said they broke off from Africa 60,000 years ago and believed that they have been a continuous culture for 60,000 years, the Aborigine. They call themselves black in relationship to the white Aborigine, even though they are as, as, as diverse as the original Native American people were. But they understand that they are Africans who stayed on the land when it broke away. And as soon as the British came and dropped off the first group of whites 
for the first few years in 1787, the same summer that this country was being born in September, September 17th when America was born, while America didn't even celebrate its birthday. They call it July 4, uh, 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 1776, when it was September 17th, uh, 1787. Well, when this country was being born, the British were dropping off the Irish that were still a part of the colony and dropped them off on the indigenous people, and they destroyed 3,000 years of trade, peaceful trade, nonviolence between two different people in Indonesia and the Aborigine. Here it happened between the Miwok and the, um, and the, uh, the um, Ohlone. So I am on Native American land, so I don't want to disrespect their land when I make a, a reparations claim. And those of us who believe in reparations should never disrespect the Native Americans. And when you open your mouth to say reparations, when you're talking about land, make sure you respect the Native Americans because this is their land we're talking about. But our, our reparations claim is against the United States of America that came into existence 100 years after we were here. Black people are pre-American. We are proto-American. We are here before America was America. I keep trying to get our people to understand this. This is child's play, this racism. Black people were here before America was here. If Farrakhan and the nation is right, if Ivan Van Sertima is right, that we were here in 1555, not 1619 like they celebrated last year, or, or dying over you know, with the New York Times, these old white historians and, and white, this racist down here, uh, the little racist one uh, with the long neck and the goat, what's his name, uh, declared, uh, you know, made a declaration in the Senate recently about the work, uh, you know, trying to, trying to you know, rewrite history. Um, but it's important to understand that uh, the African-American movement has had many misadventures. But the main misadventure is failing to understand your successes. We've had many successes, and we keep calling them uh, failures. And so then when we start a new movement, we pick up the success, having called it a failure, thinking we've got to redo it. So we think black power was a failure. Hell, WIC is is proof of success. WIC, uh, 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 for women, what's the program, uh, you know, for supplemental program for women with infant children, the sickle cell programs of the, of, of the federal government was mimicked and modeled after the 1973 uh, 73 survival programs, pending revolution programs, the, the, the temporary programs the Panthers established to take care of the needs of the people as they educated them for uh, what they believe was a pending uh, revolution. Um, uh, you know, you, we, we've, had these, we've had these successful moments, but we keep calling them losses. So we say the 13th Amendment explains mass incarceration. No, it doesn't. What explains mass incarceration is Lyndon Johnson and the 1968 uh, 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 Violent Crime and Safe Streets Act. And Lyndon Johnson, the Democrat, saying that we will have violence and we will have law and order in the street. Trump is mimicking Johnson and uh, Nixon when he says law and order right now. And there's a history of law and order presidents, and all of them have had failure. And if you give me a, a time, I'll go over them in a minute. But they've all had failure. And, you, um, uh, and, and so when you think about this whole idea of law and order, uh, it's, uh, that's where after King is killed, after the Kennedys are killed, after Mega Evers is killed, that's when the federal government comes up with this new law. And it becomes the beginning of laws from uh, this man who nobody knows anymore named Isinger 
who was the Jagger Hoover of, of his time, even though Jagger Hoover was the Jagger Hoover of his time, too. But this is the lost man who launched the war on drugs. I have a book with colleagues called Something's in the Air, Race, Crime, and Marijuana Legalization in California around Prop 19 that documents his role where he played a key role, and they used marijuana as the main thing for the war on drugs in the modern war on drugs. Uh, Michelle Alexander says that Reagan declares the war on drugs a year before crack hit. So Reagan was not responding to crack. Reagan was responding to marijuana and heroin. Nikki Barnes and Frank White and Harlem, the stuff y'all saw recently in the movies, that's what uh, 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 Nixon and Harleman were talking about when they said we got to stop the blacks and the Jews and the hippies because that's the real problem. And they said the drug war is a front. We have to come up on another break in a minute uh, uh, here um, uh, on, the, um, on our common ground, uh, but we want to remind our, our listeners to continue to listen, uh, continue to ask people to tune in, have your children tune in to get some real black talk some real black history, some real black understanding of the black movement uh, from a lens that is not drunk with a bunch of ideology. You don't hear me talking uh, dialectical this and uh, uh, class this. and uh, I'm talking black people's spirits. I'm talking black people's movements. I'm talking black people's movements and their successes. I'm talking black people's achievements. I'm talking the rhythm and the rhyme of black movement achievements and how we keep misreading them and calling them failures, based on the scholarship of Harold Cruz, the most uh, important thinker of the 20th century. We're coming up a new co- on another commercial, and we're going to take a break right now. No, it's time for your clothes. <laughs> oh, it's time for my clothes. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up right now <laughs> and say thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you all for your audience. We want to remind you in these difficult times uh, to listen to your best music, uh, to listen uh, to the blues, because uh, if you got the blues, uh, ain't nothing better than listening to somebody else's blues. If you want to get lifted up, listen to your culture. D- dig into it, because that's where the spirit is. That's where the blues and the spirituals uh, in these sick times. Don't look forward for the Internet for your, uh, your solutions unless it's pointing you back to the depth of your culture, because that's where your richness is. That's where your power is. That's where black power is. Black power is in your deep culture. And it keeps coming back, haunting these people because they won't do right by us. Today they're calling it Black Lives Matter. Fifty years from now, if they don't treat us right by then, then they'll be calling it black something else that they don't understand. And I hope we've given you an understanding better tonight uh, to see that we must rally up in the electoral front. We didn't talk Kamala tonight. We don't need to talk Kamala tonight. Kamala is simply a manifestation of a bigger thing that black people have been doing coming after Trump uh, since the night he lost. Black men were number two. Black women were number one in the electoral front. Uh, when it came to impeaching, we had two black people uh, as the House managers for the first time ever. Two black people impeached Donald Trump from the Congressional Black Caucus. Give the CDC some credit. And then our children chased him down into the bunkers like the coward that he is. Black people are coming at Donald Trump in all fronts. And we want you to register to vote and get out and do it in the name of Janice Graham and our common ground and all of its listening audience. Thank you.
sit down, get comfortable. Yeah. One of the things about the question of racism that, or at least in talking to people, the question that frequently has come up recently with me is, well, we are not guilty, personally. Of course you're not. I don't know that there's anybody in this room has carried on a campaign of racism per se. But I doubt that there's anybody in this room who has not at some point been guilty of supporting a racist culture. And we must search ourselves to find out how we have been guilty. Not for the sake of just wallowing in our guilt, but for the sake of facing the fact that the future of our culture, of our country, depends not so much on what black people do as it does depend on what white people do. This is a hard lesson for some of us, that the choice as to whether or not we will rid the country of racism is a choice that white America has to make. Thank you for listening, and for those of you who have joined us in our chat room, please help us grow and let your friends and comrades know that we are here each Saturday. Join us also at 10 p.m. on Wednesdays for our Common Ground Open Mic Night. 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our special thanks to Dr. James L. Taylor for hosting this episode of Our Common Ground. Next Saturday, 10 p.m., Janice will return with her guest, Dr. Wilmer Leon. Have a good week. Prepare to fight the power. Vote, vote early, and deliver by hand your mail ballots. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Right now. And accused of loving you too much, and I hope, I hope it's not a crime, cause if it is.
love the lie and lie the love are hanging on me, push and shove. Possession is the motivation that is hanging up the goddamn nation. Looks like we always end up in a rut. Children are killing frogs. Poor dumb rednecks rolling logs. Tired old ladies kissing dogs. I hate the human lover that's stinking but I can't use it. Trying to make it real compared to what. Just what it's for Nobody gives us a rhyme or reason Have a one doubt They call it treason We're chicken feathers all the way Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.